I'm never going to apologize for winning. Breaks a tackle. Now another. He's inside the five. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. He is sacked. Down he goes. Tyler Hoover breaks away from one tackle. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. You're listening to Impact Sports Radio. This is Spartan Red Zone with your host, Dan Tyler. What's going on, East Lansing? As you heard there, it is your host, Dan Tyler, for the Spartan Red Zone. Shout out to my boy, Lou DeVizio, for the new sick intro. I hope you guys like it, so let's jump right into things here. We got a bye week here in East Lansing coming off of the win over rival Michigan. So instead of talking about whatever would come up next week, we're just going to recap the game against Michigan last Saturday. Normally, I start off with a little quick rundown on what happened, but we have a special guest here, one of our friends from Ann Arbor, to do that for us, have a little back and forth. So we're just going to jump into the key stats. Now, the first number I got here is the negative 48, as in the negative 48 rushing yards that Michigan had. Now, everybody and their mom knows by now about this stat. It's probably the most telling stat of the game. Uh, No secret coming into the game that the Spartans had a great rushing defense, ranking first in the country, allowing just under 55 yards per game. Uh, But nobody saw this coming. Definitely not me, no experts, nobody. Definitely not Lou Holtz, who picked Michigan to win the game, saying that they were going to take down the number one rushing defense in the country. Shows how much he knows. Um, You know, their second leading rusher, Michigan's second leading rusher, that is, was backup quarterback Shane Morris, who rushed for zero yards. Zero. Uh, their leading rusher was running back Fitz Toussaint, who only gained 20 yards. And yes, that's the same Fitzgerald Toussaint who called Michigan State their little brother before the game. Um, that's, that's just the way to make him eat his words, I guess. Many of that negative yardage came on seven sacks recorded by MSU, pushing Devin Garner back negative 46 yards on the game total. Just really dominated the front line, and that's just a recipe for winning for Michigan State. So moving on, the next stat is the number 583, a pretty arbitrary number if you know this game. There was no, this isn't total yards by anybody, nothing. What the number 583 is, is the difference in yardage between Michigan's last two games. So against Indiana, they had a bye week the week previously, but against Indiana they racked up an astounding 751 yards of total offense. But then Michigan State held them to a meager 168 yards last Saturday aided by that rushing total I just mentioned before. Now, admittedly, Indiana doesn't have what one would call a strong defense, but still, Michigan proved that they could be an elite offense with that game. They're one of the top-scoring offenses of the nation, and Devin Gardner led the Big Ten in total offense after that game. So you wouldn't have guessed that after watching last Saturday's game against Michigan State. The Spartans showed the nation that they have an elite defense, you know, people were doubting them a little bit. They were saying, oh, you can do that against the Indianas, against the Illinois, some of the lower teams of the Big Ten. But I believe that Michigan is still a good offense, still maybe a top 15 offense in the nation. And Michigan State's defense just made them look bad, for the lack of a better word, just bad. So the last stat I got here is the number one, as in the number of turnovers Michigan had. Now, many experts thought going into this game that the turnover battle would be key and would ultimately determine the winner. Much has been made this season about Devin Gardner's turnover problems. He had 14 on the season going into the game. 
10 of which were picks. However, he proved in the Indiana game that if he doesn't turn it over, that he can be brilliant. And he was against Indiana, putting up 584 yards of total offense, which is a Michigan record, beating out Denard Robinson's previously three top records, along with five total touchdowns. Now, many thought that if he could take care of the ball to an extent against Michigan State, that the Wolverines would pull out the win. His lone turnover, though, an interception to Darquez Denard, didn't come until the fourth quarter. After Michigan State had asserted its dominance on defense, this game was almost already over, and that Darquez Denard interception pretty much sealed it up. Uh, Connor Cook also had a pick in the game, making it an even one-to-one turnover margin, showing that this the turnover battle actually had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. So really, really what I think this stat shows is that Devin Gardner didn't beat himself, which a lot of people thought he would have to do in order for Michigan State to win. Michigan State simply beat Devin Gardner. So let's move on to the five helmet stickers I'm giving out to, I think, who were the five top players at the game. Tough in a big game like this where everybody really came together as one to single out five specific people, but we're going to try anyways. Um, first one going out to Denikos Allen. It's hard not to give a helmet sticker out to the man who was named the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week and also the Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, he recorded nine tackles for the Spartans, three and a half which were for a loss, including two sacks. Uh, that now ties him for the lead in the Big Ten with 11 tackles for a loss on the season. Now, as I said, it's impossible, or tough at least, to single out five specific players to give helmet stickers for this for this game, that is, excuse me. But it's almost impossible to single out one player on this defensive unit who has been the most valuable player all year. They're just really working as one. Each person's having big games every game. One person will stand out one game. Another person will come to play another and lead the team. But you can't rule out Allen when, if you're trying to find an MVP. He continues to lead the team with tackles. He's an undersized linebacker at 5'11", about 218, 220 pounds, I believe. But yet he's just a dominating force, is always in the midst of the play, and just continues his strong play, continues to be one of the best linebackers of the nation. Second helmet sticker going out to Salik Calhoun. The sophomore keeps continuing his big year, and after his two-and-a-half sack performance against the Wolverines, now owns the Big Ten League solely in that category with six-and-a-half sacks on the season. Now, he had the tough assignment of drawing all-American offensive tackle Taylor Lewan, but obviously bested him in this matchup. Now, Lewan, along with the rest of the offensive line for Michigan, was harassed all game by the Michigan State front seven. But Calhoun really helped lead the way by applying excuse me, constant pressure on one of the best O-linemen in the country who is supposed to be one of the top NFL prospects. And Calhoun showed you know, he can play with the best of them. That's great moving forward for the Spartans' defense. Third one, we're sticking with the defense. Got to give it to Darquez Denard. Now, everybody knows, and I mentioned before, that Darnard, Denard, excuse me, was the guy who picked off Gardner in the fourth quarter, essentially sealing the win for the Spartans. Now, that was big, but what I think is understated was his work on Jeremy Gallon all day. Now, other than one play where Gallon found space getting a 35-yard reception, and I don't believe Denard was on the field on that play, he only had four catches for 32 yards. Now, five yards and 67 yards receiving isn't bad for your average receiver, 
But this is Jeremy Gallon, who was coming off of a game where he caught 14 passes for a Big Ten record 369 yards, along with two touchdowns to go with that against Indiana. So his work on him all day was huge, really helped contain Michigan's offense. You know, they had to try to run the ball more because Gallon wasn't getting open, and that obviously wasn't working. So he's a scary weapon for the Wolverines. I think one of their biggest weapons that they have and Denard held him in check all game, looked like one of the top cornerbacks in the year, and he continues to prove why he is one of the best players on this defense that I think is the best in the nation. So let's move on to the offense. Got to give the offense a little bit of love. And starting with offense, why not give it to your general, Connor Cook, the quarterback? He didn't have spectacular numbers, but he did what he needed to for the Spartans to secure a seemingly easy victory. The first half started slow for him, but he got things rolling late in the second quarter, connecting with receiver Benny Fowler for a touchdown just before half. Other than the interception he had late in the third quarter, he was efficient the rest of the game, leading the offense to capitalize on opportunities the defense handed them. Now that right there is the winning recipe for Michigan State. If he can continue capitalizing, if he and the offense, I should say, can continue to capitalize on the defense's opportunities that they are giving them, this Michigan State team can go far. Now, Cook finished with 252 yards passing with a touchdown, a pick, and a one-yard rushing touchdown. There's not much more you can ask for from your starting quarterback when you have a defense like we do. Now, to go along to stay in that backfield, the fifth and final helmet sticker I'm giving out is going to running back Jeremy Langford. Now, just like with Cook, things started pretty slowly for Langford. He only had six yards rushing in the first quarter, only 21 yards rushing by half. But he picked things up in the second half, helping Michigan State seal the victory down the stretch. Uh, he really capped things off in the fourth quarter after the Denard interception, breaking open a 40-yard touchdown run on that next drive, leading to the final score of 29-6. He finished with 120 yards rushing in that one lone touchdown, and this marks the fourth straight game he has rushed for over 100 yards and he continues to just gain confidence and keep on rolling in Big Ten play. It's huge for our offense if we can get our running game going. That's how our offense works. We need to establish the run game in order for Cook to hit the receivers, and he is leading the way. So let's move on to the grade reports for each unit. As always, starting with the offense, I gave them a B-plus on this game. Now, Michigan's defense had some struggles going into the game, allowing 43 points and 47 points in consecutive weeks to Penn State and Indiana, respectively. However, that Greg Madison-led defense seems to be susceptible to those high-octane, fast-paced offenses like Penn State and excuse me, Indiana, but prone to stopping a pro-style offense like Michigan State. Now, Michigan State is a team, as I mentioned before, that needs to establish a run in order to get their offense rolling. And Michigan wasn't the only team in this game with a good rushing defense. They were coming in the ninth-ranked rush defense in the nation, allowing just under 100 yards per game. And the Spartans beat that, racking up 142 yards on the ground, which is respectable against that defense. And that helped Cook have a solid game with 252 yards passing. Again, you know, they weren't spectacular this game, but they did what they had to do in order to secure the, in order to secure the win, and the defense did the rest. And as I've mentioned before, and I'll continue to mention, that's a winning recipe for this Michigan State football team. The offense doesn't have to be spectacular. They just need to do what is given to them by the defense, and this team can go far. Now, speaking of the defense, 
I'm giving them A plus on this game. 100% if it's a test. There isn't anything more you can ask for from these guys. They harassed Devin Gardner, sacking him seven times and denying their whole rushing game, pushing them back to negative 48 yards total. A lot was made about bullying before the game, and this Spartans defense definitely bullied Michigan. Uh, you could tell Devin Garner was running scared towards the end of the game. I remember there was a scramble play he had late in the third quarter where he could have easily slid and gotten that extra yard, getting a first down on a third and seven. However, he saw a few Spartan defenders coming at him, took a step backwards instead of sliding, which led to a fourth down and a punt. Now that, for me, epitomized the game. This defense absolutely imposed their will on the Michigan offense, and they were getting up into Devin Gardner so much that, you know, there's a point he could have easily slid, and he was he was afraid. He didn't want to take another shot because they had been hitting him all game, and he, he decided to step back and go out of bounds. Now, other than that, as I mentioned, Denard, he had the lone turnover of the game, intercepting Gardner in the fourth quarter. And as you can see by the score, 29-6, they only allowed six points, marking the third straight game where this defense hasn't allowed a touchdown. Very impressive stretch they got going on. Right, now, lastly, we have special teams. I gave them an A. You know, there's nothing, there's no faults you could find from them from this unit. Uh, R.J. Shelton was the was the kick returner in this game and averaged 29 yards per return, which is good, albeit only on two returns, which is, again, props to the MSU defense for not giving Shelton many opportunities to return kicks since Michigan wasn't scoring. Michael Geiger, the kicker, was 3-for-3 three three on the day, hitting from 35, 40, and 44 yards. Uh, he did only go 2-for-3 on extra points, but that one miss was blocked, not necessarily his fault. Mike Sadler had another strong game, he averaged just under 40, 41 excuse me, yards per punt on five punts. He had a long of 51 yards, but he pinned Michigan inside their 20 three times out of those five punts. And again, just another game where Sadler is helping the defense out. Not that they need too much help, but he's helping them out by continuously putting opposing offenses in, in bad field position. But now we're going to move on to our special guest here. A student at the University of Michigan who happens to be my older brother. We have Joe Tyler on the line. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm, I'm doing uh, doing pretty fine myself. How are you? It's good to be talking with you. Oh, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, good I'm, after I'm last Saturday's game. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was hoping we could uh, talk in something more favorable to me, but, you know, <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised about this one. Hey, First, my first question is just to just to start things off real fast here. How, if your opinion has changed on Michigan State after this game, how has it changed after watching them dominate? Uh, it's, it certainly has changed. I mean, I'll be the first to admit I uh, am very reluctant to hand Michigan State football any sort <laughs> of credit or legitimacy, and I I really try to deny it until the last possible. Second, you know, it's kind of like some kid. You you get all the clues. You you think you realize Santa's not real, and but you just want to hope against hope that it's not like that. And uh, it's kind of what happened to me. It was you know over the past four years, I was like, okay, you know, MSU's benefiting off of uh, a little bit of turmoil in Ann Arbor, the Rich Rod era, the Rich Rod era, the, the end of the Car era, and the beginning of the Hoke era. And you know, I was trying to. Blame 
too many I don't know, external factors and not looking at uh, the way it was, which is MSU's built a good football team. And, you know, I look at you guys and, yeah, my opinion has definitely changed. You're that have the upper hand in the state in terms of um, fueling the better football team, and I don't see that changing for a little bit. So <laughs> definitely um, a sad day for me to have to say that. But <laughs> you know, that's why that's why I wanted to really have you on the show, though, because I know you are a Michigan fan. Michigan fans are going to want to to not see what kind of growth is going on in East Lansing, but I do view you as a very unbiased as as far as unbiased can go in this kind of rivalry not that not that anybody can truly be unbiased but maybe uh less biased than others in terms of it you know willing to see the other side of things yeah yeah yeah, i've always been able to appreciate the competitive standpoint of the game obviously i've got my you know we can hear it come out a little bit just talking right now but yeah i think just looking at it objectively you know let's say Anyone watching this Michigan-Michigan State rivalry from a national level, you know, anyone from an SEC fan, the, you know, the folks who were watching Stanford dominate Oregon for the majority of last night, they would, you know, they, what would they think about this game? And they would see a physically outmatched Michigan team and, you know, a Michigan State team that schematically was far superior, physically far superior in just a lot further along the development chain than Michigan. So you said you said you know physically far superior. Um, that kind of brings me into into a question I had for you about uh, Pat Narduzzi's defense and what they're doing against Michigan. You know what they what they really stress there with Narduzzi's defense is just being an incredibly physically dominating team. And it appears in the past year and in, in similar to this year, you know. Michigan's offense is looking good. You know, years under Denard Robinson, they would be looking good. Then they meet Michigan State's defense in Narduzzi's schemes, and they kind of get exploited, for lack of a better word. And then I think that certain years has provided a blueprint for other Big Ten teams to see what Michigan State and Narduzzi's led defenses have done and kind of learn from that on how to handle Michigan's offense. Is that... Is that something that you are worried about going forward, that maybe Michigan State again this year, like with the Denar Robinson years, have provided a blueprint for how to stop Michigan? Um, I would say yes and no. You bring up good points. Um, Michigan State and Pat Narduzzi specifically has been the graveyard of Michigan offenses for the past you know, four or five years. Um, but it's not similar to prior years where you had you know, the Denard Robinson machine rolling in, just Michigan racking up points left and right, Robinson running for over 200 yards, passing for over 200, and looking essentially invincible. Um, there are holes in this offensive unit for Michigan that were, if you know, if you follow Michigan football, you were pretty aware of going into this one and quite concerned about. Um, namely, the first one would be the contagious turnover disease, if you want to call it that, which is actually kind of fallen uh, to the wayside a bit. But um, also, I mean, as anyone who even happened to watch a minute of the game or just look at a box score, uh, the offensive line for Michigan is simply horrendous. And I think that is something we've been aware of 
for quite some time now. So um, that doesn't that saying all that. Um, not taking anything away from RGZ and Michigan State, they certainly seem to have Michigan number dialed up. And I mean, we haven't scored a touchdown, you guys, in what like two years? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Which is definitely concerning. But moving forward, I'm not too concerned about this one. I don't think any MSU um, revealed anything about Michigan's offense that or any weaknesses about it that weren't already um, there. I think they just exploited them to a much further and deeper extent than anyone's been able to do all year. And part of that is, is the fact Michigan has really hardly matched up against anyone. Yeah, those are great points you brought up. Though I, I do, I do like that you said that these aren't. You know, we we talked a lot, obviously, before the game. Um, these aren't problems that we weren't aware of going into it. We talked extensively about the offensive line problems and such, um, and that and Michigan State really just kind of blew that up. So going off of that, I thought Michigan going into this season, I thought Michigan's offensive line would be really strong. You know, with probably the best offensive I. lineman. Taylor Lewan on one side, and you got Schofield or Schofield on the other side. Um, you know, what do you think is what do you think is going wrong? Is it just the guys in the middle are so are letting uh, letting holes, or uh, do you think that interior is interior can't even really hold water? Um, that's the biggest issue because um, the tackles in Schofield and Lewan they're able to they can't glue the pocket and they can hold one for Gardner, but the fact of the matter is there is I mean there's just a tidal wave rushing through the center in middle of Michigan's line almost when Michigan State came in. The worst case scenario is almost every play. And that, that the real question is and the question for the season and moving forward for Michigan under Brady Hoke is seems to be why is that happening? Because there's there's a lot of talent on that offensive line. Hoke has had a couple of years now to recruit some players who are quite highly rated and have had some time in the system. And now, granted, the interior of the line is not old, and they are a far cry from the experienced players and um, senior senior Taylor Lewan and Michael Schofield. But at the same time, they seem to be getting worse from week to week as opposed to showing even remote signs of improvement. And that... Part of that may be on the players. Yes, they're young, and yes, the line has been shuffled up numerous times throughout the season. But it's a bit troubling that there hasn't been even close to any signs of progress on that front. And it could pose a lot of problems for Michigan football moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could see that the, the middle was getting blown up with you know, linebackers getting involved right in there. Like, Denikos Allen seemed to be in the backfield almost every single play. But something I noticed a big matchup was, you know, Shalit Calhoun, Michigan State sophomore, D-end, and then Taylor Lewan matching up. And, you know, a lot... Lewan made a lot about, you know, not getting bullied this game. But my opinion, and, and again, I said it's it's impossible to be completely unbiased in this matchup if you have a dog in either fight. But my yeah. opinion was Calhoun dominated Luan. But Luan denied it in the postgame interviews, despite, you know, blood rushing down his head a little bit. What do you think on that? Do you think that Luan was dominated? 
Uh, I don't think Luan was dominating in his individual matchup. Um, Luan certainly didn't dominate. I can't say um, I've um, analyzed that one too closely. Um, I, don't, I don't believe Luan was dominated by any means. I think he held his ground for the most part. Um, but was I think emotionally he was dominated, and I think that's kind of what Michigan was hitting at in the week before this game, talking about getting bullied. And Luan was so focused on not getting bullied that he kind of ended up bullying himself just with reckless extracurricular activity. I mean, the grabbing of the face mask is absolutely inexcusable, and I believe I believe he shouldn't be playing this week for that. And some of his other penalties just incredibly untimely and a lack of true on-field leadership from Milan, a fifth-year senior who obviously at this point knows and is aware of the struggles of the rest of his unit. And for him to lose his cool like that, I would say in some respects you could call that getting dominated because what Luan had to do in that game, it it went deeper than his individual matchup because it wasn't, I don't think MSU gained really too much ground of any from beating Taylor Lewan, but what Lewan had to do was prepare the rest of his offensive line for this battle against Michigan State, and clearly that didn't happen. Now I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up about uh, emotionally getting dominated and stuff, because that's what I was going to go into some of the dirty plays that Lewan had. But I'm it, it's curious that you you think that he he shouldn't be playing. It's it's interesting because a couple years ago, obviously, Will Golston in this same matchup, he was suspended for having similar dirty play. Um, I personally thought that Will Golston's face mask tug was a lot more aggressive, a lot more egregious. Um, it looked like he was. really was trying to break Denard true. Robinson's neck. But I Very think the, the reason that he got suspended for a game by the league was more for the punch when he punched this exact Taylor Lewan and not as much for the face mask grab. Um, so I, I mean, I personally, I didn't see any reason for him to get suspended. Um, he, you know, he apologized. He went out and apologized to Isaiah Lewis. He apologized to the media and stuff. Mark D'Antonio. Which, yeah, I'll give, I'll give credit to Lewan for that for sure. It's, you know, it takes, definitely takes some sort of man to step up and apologize after that, but. Yeah, you know that that I agree. He he didn't show the leadership skills on the field. That's what it boils down. Yeah, he he just he lost to school in the middle of that game, and for you know for a fifth year senior and one of Michigan's top players, and quite frankly, who I believe is one of the top players in the country and most physically NFL ready players um, this uh, current season has. It's, it's just. It's just too bad that he couldn't have harnessed that energy in a different way, and you know, it's it's been a bit more uh, constructive with it. <laughs> so yeah, you know, going going on to that, you know, you're calling him one of the best players in the country, but now his his character is getting brought into question a little bit. So I'm going to bring up this article we spoke about a little bit before the show, this Jason Whitlock, ESPN writer article, in which he compared. Taylor Lewan to South Carolina's Jadavian Clowney, you know, saying that he just kind of came back 
to the school just so he could be there and is just waiting to go into the NFL. Is that something that you see out of Luan, or do you think that's an unfair comparison? Um, I think that to be a bit of an unfair comparison. Um, for one, Luan hasn't received a quarter of the height and media love that Clowney has. I mean, Definitely not. Interesting we're talking about these two because they had, you know, what was honestly a terrific just physical football battle in the Outback Bowl this uh, prior January in which both of them went at it each and every play. You know, just watching two physical specimens go at it and play great football was, you know, it was, it was impressive. And to have both of them come back this season um, is was you know, very uh, entertaining for this upcoming year. But to to compare Luan to Clowney, I don't see that as being fair. Um, obviously, you know, who hasn't seen the, the Clowney hit on Vincent Smith from the halfback <laughs> goal? Definitely. But the, the Clowney hype machine and just the whole ESPN circus is something that Luan, although being a high-profile player, never really has gotten, and I would say the media attention has certainly gotten to Clowney's head more than it has to Luan's. I mean, Luan still still is a senior captain for this Michigan team, and you know, despite having not the season that many hoped he would have, he still he still is the anchor to this offensive line. He you know he plays every week and he does bring his best, and he's certainly out there playing as hard as he can for Michigan football and. The same can't be said about Jadavian Clowney, who, you know, every now and then seems more inclined to take the week off and relax and prep himself thinking about the NFL riches than actually, you know, get down and play the game where he currently is. Yeah, definitely. I agree. You know, I thought that was just kind of a... I think people are starting to jump ship a little bit on Michigan after this game, and I think it's just people kind of pressing the panic meter too much. And to go back to the Whitlock article, I was actually not aware of who Jason Whitlock was until about 20 hours ago. But um, <laughs> I, it's you know, it's what to be expected after you know Michigan's a very high-profile, high-pressure, high-spotlight university and football program, and when you know the expectations are not met as they haven't been this year, you know, there's going to be a lot of firestorm, and the bigger the spotlight, you know, the harder it'll burn, hotter it'll burn. And there's been a, you know, a lot of people jumping off the bandwagon or either jumping on Michigan's back. And I see Whitlock's article is just a kind of a, a weak cut at Brady Hoke, who he calls his friend and um, the football program he's established. There's, you know, for Whitlock to on one hand claiming that knows Hulk really well, but then follow that by saying he hasn't spoke to him all year, been around the football program at all, and then to make very personal, um, very, I don't know, specific attacks about certain players' characters and the culture of the program, when he, the fact of the matter is, he has no idea. He said in his article he gets his information from the Detroit Free Press and Detroit News, which... I mean, so he's reading uh, Drew Sharp then. Yeah, he's just reading. You <laughs> Not know, a good sign. He he can tell you how many turnovers Gardner has, and you know he doesn't actually know what Michigan football is going through this year, and I found it quite 
quite unfair of him to make personal attacks on Lawan or a handful of other players, specifically, you know, highly recruited freshman Derek Green calling him soft. Um, just found that to be pretty, just a, just a pretty, um, pretty classless attack. Yeah, I think just, you know, another case of some of these quote-unquote experts really not having the information that we think they do um, and just trying to get a stir out of people. (laughs) Yeah. Make them believe they're right. But, But, you know, speaking of Derek Green, again, another thing that we spoke about, um, some more just a storm coming after this loss to Michigan State. Now there are rumors coming out that a group – of underclassmen at Michigan are looking to transfer, and the highly touted running back Derek Green is one of them. One of them. Yeah. Um, do you think? Saw that article. <laughs> uh, do you think this is something that has been like kind of gradually building up, and the Michigan State game was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, or do you believe some of these guys are looking at that game and they're saying, you know, you, you as in Brady Hoke, guaranteed us or told us we were going to do this, this, and this, but. Now we can't even, or aren't even competing with who are supposed to be our little brothers, you know, or or a combination yeah. of both. What do you what do you think about um, that? That's, that's a good question. Um, it goes back to what your your original question was asking me, um, how my or sorry, not original question. Um, if it's a concern to me that MSU seems to have exploited Michigan's offense for like the fifth or sixth year in a row, and um, regarding the the questionable transfers or, you know, whatever off-season turmoil there may be. Um, I don't think really anything new was found out about Michigan against Michigan State. I think for for those who have followed the program and have been around it, I well, maybe not those have been around it. I hope they weren't speaking as critically as I was before that. But um, we, I could, at least speaking from my standpoint, I could tell there were a lot of problems with this team, and they revealed themselves far before Michigan State. Michigan State was just the most high-profile and biggest stage for them to be exploited, and it was the biggest disaster to date, but it didn't create any new um, holes or problems with this team. So I think I think the issues have stemmed throughout this year from, I can't really tell you, hearing the rumor that however true it may be might not be true at all, but freshmen who are very highly rated recruits, such as Derek Green or Kyle Callis, the offensive lineman, um, a few others, I'm trying to remember their names. You know, there's Jenkins um, Stone, the linebacker. Another highly rated recruit. Taco um, Charlton, love Taco his name. Charlton, another very highly rated, rated recruit. Um, here Hearing that, it's it is um, a bit concerning for the future because these are players who, when Michigan fans or you know even the coaching staff for that matter um, heard about their uh, decision to commit to Michigan, were all you know super excited. These were players who, you know, Green for example seemed to be Hope's hallmark recruit um, of his tenure, and players who. All of us and coaching staff included, I believe, envisioned coming in and contributing and helping Michigan regain their place as a national football power. And to to hear that they're having these doubts early on, and Michigan seems to not be the place they actually believed it to be, is you know it's definitely troubling for you know this 
team as it is moving forward in the next um, four games they have, and also for the future, you know, what that means for recruiting and the stability of the program. All right, all right. So last last question I have for you. Let's let's move forward as in, like, what's next for this Michigan team? So now for whoever Michigan State fans are listening and wondering, why are we talking about Michigan so much? This has yeah, everything to do with Michigan State as well. They play Nebraska next. Michigan, that is, plays Nebraska next in Ann Arbor, a game you and I are actually going to together. I'm super excited about that. But Should be. <laughs> I'm Michi- looking forward to it, too. I'm looking forward to being there with you. Maybe not reviewing the product in the field. But. <laughs> so, so to break down the importance, this is a Michigan State show, so first we'll break down the importance of this game on Michigan State. We're sitting pretty on our bye week at 5-0 and in the conference, and Michigan's at 2-2 two and two and Nebraska at 3-1. and one. Now, if Michigan comes out of this game at home in Ann Arbor with a victory, that'll put Nebraska, Minnesota, and Michigan all at 3-2 and two in the Big Ten, and Michigan State with a two-game lead with three games to go, sitting in the driver's seat looking at a shot back going to Indy. So just for you State fans to know, this is incredibly important. If you have any Mazer Blue, maybe think about wearing it. If you're staying inside, you don't need to wear it outside. Mm-hmm. But root for Michigan, essentially, is what I'm saying. But, Joe, what do you think going into this game? What do you... Do you think that Michigan is going to be reeling after this loss to Michigan State, or do you think they can bounce back, beat a, I believe, a Taylor Martinez-less Nebraska yeah. team at home? Martinez will be playing. Um, there is, I believe, there's no reason they should lose this game. I mean, Michigan is 19 and 0 at home um, under Brady Hoke, and they do appear to be night and day. <laughs> you know, looking at a team that plays at the big house and looking at the team that showed up last week. Michigan's road woes under Hoke are a huge concern, but when they play at home, there seems to be a renewed level of focus and intensity, and now, like you asked, the question is, are they going to be reeling after Michigan State? And, you know, I can't take too much of an authoritative stance on it, but I just I hope not hearing some of the reports this week about potential transfers and some discontent with uh, certain players. You know, that definitely gets you worried with the with the unity of the locker rooms like and unfortunately, you know, Juan is certainly the leader and not well along with Devin Gardner the face of this team, but I I do I do question the leadership of um the players and um, Michigan's ranks. I mean, I believe Hoke is a. I believe Hoke to be a strong leader, and I think he'll have his team ready. But going to the players, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm not too sure, and that could really burn them this week against Nebraska. Well, you know, hopefully for all the Michigan fans and Michigan State fans out there, uh, Michigan can go back home in front of that big big house crowd and pull out a victory helping out Michigan a little bit. It'll just be good for the state. You know, Michigan gets another victory. Michigan State is looking even better at getting another chance at going to play for the Big Ten championship game and hopefully a chance gets Ohio State. I know a bunch of people want that. So yeah. be watching that game, everybody. It's it's a big one for not only Michigan but Michigan State's season. But, Joe, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, I appreciate course, it. For those of you listening, me. it's pure coincidence that he's the big brother and goes to Michigan. I'm the little brother <laughs> at Michigan State. 
Works out yeah, well, though. Yeah, it used to be relevant, like, <laughs> seven years ago. but yeah. Back in the Mike Hart days, maybe. Yeah, but I appreciate yeah. it, man. I'll yeah, see you this course, weekend. Man. Yeah, and, I'll see you soon, but uh, it's been a pleasure joining you on the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'll say good luck to your Spartans throughout the season, even though uh, I might not mean that. But <laughs> Hey, words, words are words, but we appreciate it here, buddy. Good luck this weekend to Big Blue. Yeah, yeah, they might need it. Well, luck, some luck never hurt. Take it easy, Joe. Yeah, take care, man. Peace. All right, so we're going to move on to some quick final words here before I sign off. We've been talking a lot about the present and the past here. So let's talk really quickly on the future for Michigan State. Now, coming in, a lot of people, the quarter, quarterback question was uh, a big concern for Michigan State. And a lot of people were saying, oh, let's give this uh, true freshman Damian Terry a chance. Now, he ended up getting redshirted, which I think ultimately, and especially in hindsight, seeing what Connor Cook is doing, was a good decision. But, you know, so he got redshirted, and he's on scout team, meaning whatever quarterback we're facing, he is supposed to be the man to... uh, kind of emulate that quarterback um so he was supposed to be emulating quarterback Devin Gardner this week for Michigan and did so I think in in an amazing job evidently according to some defensive players Ed Davis recorded two and a half sacks along with Schley Calhoun recorded two and a half sacks for Michigan State this week and they said all week long Damian Terry was just coming to play he was looking so good making crisp passes, great plays with his feet. Uh, excuse me for that dial tone you could hear a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, they said that, honestly, their one of their quotes was, he was better at being Devin Gardner than Gardner was. And I think that is an incredibly resonating statement. You know, Devin Gardner, he may not have looked that great against Michigan State, but I think that's more of Michigan State looking, making him look bad, excuse me, than him just being a bad player. He's not a bad player by any means. I think he is a very good quarterback. I think he's going to bounce back this weekend, have a big game against Nebraska, and have a strong finish to the season. And these guys saying that this redshirt freshman out here is playing against the best defense in the country. He's getting practice reps against the best defense in the country and is better than this quarterback who put up 584 yards the previous game before playing Michigan State. That's huge. That's everything. And then he gets a couple of years to compete maybe with Connor Cook, play behind him maybe for a year. I just think that this guy, he's going to be big one day. He's he's learning to grow. Mark D'Antonio said before the year he wasn't going to get the job because there was just some things he had to learn. That's obviously a big jump from high school to college, and there's some aspects of the game that he really had no idea of and had to really get a handle of. And, you know, playing and defense – against a defense that is number one in the nation will give you that handle on how to play Big Ten ball. And I think that he can really help take this Michigan State team forward in the future. They're doing big things this year, I believe. And I think that once, whenever it may happen, when the when the torch is passed to Damian Terry, he's not going to slow that down. He's not going to slow down that relay. He's going to keep it rolling. But that's all I got for you this week, folks. Once again, you're listening to the Spartan Red Zone. I'm your host, Dan Tyler. Normally, I end these shows with saying go green. Since we don't have a game, 
I guess I'll say go green in a different way. I'm saying go blue. If you're out there rooting for Michigan this week against Nebraska, it'll be big for Michigan State in the in the entire Big Ten title race. And things are starting to look a little rosy. I don't want to say it, but a, it'll really help us out this week if Michigan gets a big W against Nebraska. Take it easy, East Lansing. <laughs>